The traditional way to prepare and dye cotton uses heavy alkali. Of course, that gets washed off. And there's another issue in that to get rid of these issues that in processing, you have to use a lot of water to wash off. With the Fiber 52 method, you don't have to do that. We have a, a biodegradable product which takes any, away any loose dye stuff. So we don't have to wash it four or five times. We can wash it once or twice and away you go. So overall, we're doing what we call a life cycle analysis. And what you can see is all the water, all the energy, all the time, the carbon footprint that Fiber 52 has is so much less than traditional processing. And we do a comparison every time. Welcome to Mindful Businesses, presented by Sarani, and I'm your host, Vedya Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you businesses that are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today, we have with us Graham Stewart, Executive Vice President of Fiber 52 working with Nature for Sustainable Cotton. He joins us from Charleston, South Carolina. Welcome, Graham. Thank you, Vijay. I'm excited to be on your podcast and thanks for inviting me. When you think about cotton, which is definitely an all-natural product and one that causes minimal damage to the planet, the first thing that comes to mind is probably woven. But cotton can be knit, it could be even be non-woven, right? Correct. It can be knitted. In fact, we work, the biggest category for us is circular knit. And then, you know, like the sweater, actually, the one that you're wearing today is a flat knit, which is a different knit machinery. And then there's socks. We do a lot of work with socks. They're on another machine. Yes, we do work with uh, wovens. The only area we have not yet been involved in any depth is denim, but we are getting there. So where are these factories that you work with? Are they in the US or world global? Global. At the present, I mean, if you take this week, me, my colleagues are on the ground in Bangladesh. We have uh, one person full-time in Bangladesh, three people in Pakistan. We have a big partnership in Central America. The president of our company and our senior scientist will be in Mexico this week running trials. I'm Tied up with trials in Italy, you know, I do it over the internet. The great thing about today is that I can be inside a factory from my desk. We have a fantastic team in Italy. We have partners in Turkey, and I've probably forgotten a lot of others because we're, we're just um, Peru and, uh, of course, we're big in India. We, we really are moving fast in India. And so we're very excited about our progress in Asia and Central America. What are the different steps in like first you get the cotton so you are not concerned at this point the stage before the cotton actually comes to your factories right so what would happen to that the cotton once it comes to your textile mills or factories or looms what generally happens is there's a machine which is a great invention called a cotton gin and that really gets cotton into its its form ready to be processed into textiles. The next stage is making cotton usually into a yarn. And then that goes into the various knits or the various weaves that we've just discussed and even non-wovens, which is a little complicated. So we'll stick with the normal textiles that are used for apparels and furniture, upholstery, bedding, all that kind of thing, which is a big deal. You know, cotton is the second largest fiber 
that's used in the world by volume. It may be the biggest fibre by value because polyester is the biggest, but because polyester is a cheap petrochemical, whereas cotton is um, a valuable natural fibre, which is a big difference. So to answer your question, when I see the cotton, usually I see it in, say, a fabric form. We don't do a lot differently. The difference is that cotton has been processed with the same heavy chemicals for the last five, six decades. And that's how I came up to uh, develop Fibre 52 in that I thought there has to be a better way than this. And so, uh, so I started using bioproducts instead. Though we think cotton is natural, and I may go a step further and buy fabric or a dress made out of organic cotton, a lot of the processes are toxic, similar to polyester. The traditional way to prepare and dye cotton uses heavy alkali. Of course, that gets washed off. And there's another issue in that to get rid of these issues that in processing, you have to use a lot of water to wash off. With a fiber 52 method, you don't have to do that. What happens is, one, we should talk a little bit about how cotton is prepared because most cotton gets gets bleached to begin with to get rid of the impurities that exist in cotton which is beautifully called trash in our business you have to remove the trash which fiber 52 does we do it in a very gentle manner and we do it by really retaining the natural properties of cotton so cottons are cellulose and we don't damage the cellulose because we use these natural products, because we're using bioproducts. Basically, the girl who works on the shop floor in the dye house, in the processing areas, all they're doing is shifting heavy chemical for a bioproduct. Nothing else changes. So it's very simple. And we use the same machinery, but we don't have to wash off so much because we're reacted. Everything's reacted. And so it's a natural reaction. And the, even the catalysts are bioproducts, which we use very small amounts. So there's the difference between the two. You know, we use bleach in our everyday laundry. We want to get our whites whiter. What reaction happens with your bioproducts that is equivalent to the bleach? One, we have to separate out two bleaches. The first bleach is the one you tend to use at home, which is chlorine bleach which is horrible stuff because it contains chlorine. Hydrogen peroxide, which we use, is a natural product, right? So hydrogen peroxide is, you know, I actually use hydrogen peroxide on my teeth every day um, because it, I try to make them nice and white, and it's very natural. And that's what happens basically in the prepare for dye process with Fiber 52. You use hydrogen peroxide. We use a biocatalyst, and the hydrogen peroxide reacts and usually what happens in traditional dyeing, prepare for dye, I should say, that dye bath then gets dropped, it gets refilled. And guess what? That's on a thousand kilograms of fabric, that's 20,000 liters of water. We don't have to do that. We can go straight into dyeing because our process is so clean, not a problem. That in itself saves a lot. Then at the end of the dyeing process, we have a, a biodegradable product, which takes any, away any loose dye stuff. So we don't have to wash it four or five times. We can wash it once or twice and away you go. So overall, we're doing what we call a life cycle analysis, a wonderful university in Italy. And we're nearly at the end of that. And we are going to publish that. And what you can see is all the water, all the energy, all the time, the carbon footprint that Fiber 52 has is so much 
less, you know, less is more in this case, as it's so much less than traditional processing. And we do a comparison every time. So every time we die for the LCA to see what's going on, the life cycle analysis, then we do traditional dying and we do fiber 52. And then it gets very, very carefully measured. And then we do that in industry as well. So we then send all the results from industry from all parts of the world. And so you're going to be able to see the big differences. We already do this with industry. When a brand comes along and we, we're dealing with, you know, a lot of the brands around the world, we give them calculators to show them, you know, how much they're saving, how much energy, how much time, how much water, and how many dollars, how much money you save by using the Fiber 52 process. So you mentioned that your product could be used even on a very small scale. But what about the cost? If I don't have the margins, if I'm a really small factory, entrepreneur, weaver, how do your costs compare to the cost of your products, your process, compared to the traditional methods and products? Whether you're large or small, you've got costs. And what we look at is being cost neutral. So we don't want you to pay more for sustainability. That's not right. What we should be is at least cost neutral. And if we can save you more time, you know, use less water and you can gain from that as well, even better. But traditional product versus our products or traditional chemical versus our bioproducts, we wish to be cost neutral and we are, we're achieving that. That's the good news. And so we'd love to work with anybody on that basis. Does the use of hydrogen peroxide hamper the strength of the thread, the fabric? In traditional processing, yes, because what happens is you put very heavy alkali with the hydrogen peroxide and then heat it to 100 degrees centigrade or 212 degrees Fahrenheit. So it damages the cellulose. With fiber 52, we don't go above 65 degrees centigrade or 150 degrees Fahrenheit. We don't dwell as long. We don't have as much time uh, involved. So you've got less heat, but then we don't have the heavy alkali. We use more sustainable, I should say, alkalis, and uh, they get used up in the process. They disappear. This may be a basic science question, but what is the problem with alkaline? Just as you were saying, you know, in the strength, for instance, you're degrading the cellulose. There's a big problem. In many cottons, you know, with, uh, for instance, what we call open endian, which is used very widely around the world, it becomes very weak when processing normally. It is quite a lot stronger when processing that kind of shorter cotton, the fiber 52 process. We have that advantage in that we're not degrading the cellulose. So the alkaline that you use, does it require less heat? Is that correct? Yes, because of our bioproducts that we use with it. Under, so the, the conditions are alkali, but the bioproducts work very well under those alkali conditions. But guess what? As they're working, they bring the alkali back to neutral. So there's nothing there in the end. You're back to water, basically, which is not the case in the traditional process. So hence, you don't have to rinse it out. Correct. Exactly. This process, I'm just comparing to a household situation where you're trying to bleach and you would want chlorine bleach to be washed off well, otherwise there will be a lot of residue. So in your case, since it comes back, the pH level comes back to normal, it is basically in, in the sense water and hence you save a ton of water, literally. Correct, literally. And we don't use chlorine bleach at all. Of course. <laughs> So the next is, I want this beautiful hot pink. How is your process different than 
the traditional process? Yeah, that's a really good question because we have done quite a number of hot pinks, particularly in Italy. We've worked with, um, you know, brighter shades. And what does happen, and, and, you know, to be honest, in a year you've probably got 10% of shades that need to have a beautiful, beautiful white. And therefore, what we do is to get a really, really white white, then we run our chemistry a little bit longer. And that's how we get the good white, again, without doing the damage. So that's how we achieve those brighter colors. But the dye that you use is the same as used in the traditional way. It's not as if you're using natural dyes or biodegradable dyes. Or We use um, mainly what are called reactive dyes. And the reason for that is that they're very, very fast. So, you know, they're fast to washing, they're fast to rubbing, they're fast to everything. And they're also very, very reactive. Therefore, there's no wastage with them. I think one of the issues, and I love natural dyes, but one of the issues is, one, you've got to use mordants, and two, they don't exhaust. So you've got a lot of wastage with them and cost. These reactive dyes were actually invented, you know, made in my town in England, very close to where I I lived. You know, I became aware of them when I was very young and uh, used them myself because I was a dyer from leaving school. I was always amazed how quickly these dyestuffs reacted in respect to other dyestuffs, which took much longer. That's where we focus. You talk about color fastness and, you know, it won't bleed and ruin your clothes in the laundry. Yes, the laundry and in perspiration. So if you're cycling, running, climbing mountains and so on, perspiring in whatever you do in warm temperatures, it doesn't bleed. It doesn't come off on your skin. And you used a new terminology, exhaust. You said that the natural dyes exhaust extensively. What does that mean? The reactive dyes they're called reactives, they react with the cotton. They love for the cotton. And one of the problems is if you don't control that, they go on very quickly and very uneven. But basically, most of the chemistry that's used, both traditional and non-traditional, those dyestuffs are very even these days. Once they're on the cotton, they're not coming off. So they go on quickly and they don't come back off again. Whereas, you know, over the years, certain classes of dyestuffs take a very long time to dye. Natural dyestuffs, for instance, have a problem in that they're not good to perspiration mainly. But a big natural dye is indigo. Let's face it, you know, there are synthetic indigos, of course. Now, indigo is very, very good at certain things. But the reason that we all love our faded jeans is that their rubbing fastness, as we call it, or crocking fastness, is very, very low. And therefore, they fade very quickly when you rub up against things or, I don't know, any interaction with your uh, with your jeans. You know, you sit down and you notice that at the back, your jeans are fading pretty quick. That's what's happening with, you know, most natural dye stuffs, which doesn't happen with reactives. Sorry. What is exhausting? Exhausting is this rubbing off? No, exhausting is taking the dye stuff out of the liquid phase and into the fabric, into the cellulose. So... As you notice, you may be dyeing a deep blue. By the time you've finished, it's very, very light blue in the water because the dye stuff's on the fibre, not in the water. That's exhaust. And to clarify, that happens more in the traditional method or your method? Uh, Both. In which is it more efficient? Where we become more efficient is in, you know, normal reactive dyeing. 
we don't have to wash off as much at the end of the process. So we're saving water because we have a, an additive that takes the dye away naturally. It doesn't upset the water systems either. What tends to happen in traditional dyeing is that they use a lot of detergent. So you've then got to get rid of the detergent too. You then got to make sure that the detergent doesn't upset the natural water systems. So that's traditional processing. And that's what we're not about. We're getting away from that and we're saving water and also we're environmentally friendly when it comes to effluent, which can be an issue. And let's face it, not much of the processing around the world is in areas where water is very scarce. Even drinking water is scarce, so we don't want to see water wasted. This process saves water, uses less energy. Why can't it be translated to polyester or any of the other petrochemicals? It's a good question because the bioproducts that we use for working with cellulose. So it works with new cellulose or as we call secondary cellulose. Like you'll see now in most of the fashion stores, these viscose or acetate fibers, which have been around a long time, beautiful fibers, but they're, you know, often made from um, trees. So our process works with them as well. But polyester being made from petrochemicals, our process doesn't work with them. I'm not saying that in the future we can't develop something that's friendlier with polyester, but that's not our focus right now. We'd rather concentrate on natural fibres. Can your process be used to waste fabric? You know, many times there are fashion houses which think this is the colour for the season or this print will take off and they make millions of yards of fabric and you know it doesn't work out and then they have all this fabric which they are unable to use normally maybe they bleach it and then reprint or re-dye it in that case it will lose its strength and also you know cause damage so can your process be used to save in an environmental friendly way the unused fabric yeah, where we get tremendous interest from particularly the big brands that are out there is that they're realizing uh, retaining the strength of the cotton, it can be recycled more easily. Because in recycling, what tends to happen is unless the cotton, the recycled cotton collection is very, very specific, mostly, you know, these guys are collecting garments from all over the world and they're being returned to the big, you know, to the big retailers who've got, some have got really great programs for that. Where we're looking, and it's going to be a year or two down the line, is that we have a closed loop situation where you've got fibre 52, which is stronger. So fibre 52 cotton, whichever form it's in, is stronger. And then it can be recycled better because in recycling quite often, you can't recycle and use it for apparel or make it into a yarn again. It's just too damaged. Whereas with Fibre 52, we can avoid that. So what is your business model? Are you selling the process, the product or the technology? Well, we sell the technology for sure. The way that that is transferred is by the very few bioproducts that we supply. So we supply those products. We have systems around the world to make sure that those products in the manufacturing centers and that we make a small margin on those products that are used. So it's very simple. Otherwise, it gets too complicated. Why the name Fiber 52? Yeah, another good question. We tried to register Fiber 52 with the name Cotton in our registration. Every registration name in Cotton has gone. <laughs> and so we looked at the chemistry of cellulose 
And we looked at particularly at the chemistry of cellulose from the United States, i.e. from where our head office is in Texas. You know, 50% of America's cotton comes from Texas, but the most commonly used cotton has the chromosomes that make up cotton. There are 52 of them. So fiber 52 just means cotton. Pretty cool. So how large should a company be to be able to use your technology? Why can't it be used even in the small scale textile mills? And I'm thinking especially in the Indian context where they have several handloom mills still operational. I mean, your dias can be very, very small. There are no problems with that. You know, there are no barriers to entry for Fiber 52. You can be the smallest or the largest. We're okay with both. Well, that's really interesting because, you know, many of the solutions that our guests offer, understandably, go and try to get maximum impact and go after the larger manufacturers and cater their product or solution to the larger manufacturer. It's interesting that Fiber 52 can be used you know, on a small-scale industry and on a textile mills, which has like millions of yards of production capacity. Correct. And um, even now, you know, we have, um, in Italy particularly, we have very small family businesses that have been around for decades and decades. Some of them have been in the same family for hundreds of years. They're not big mills, but they love Fiber 52, so they can use it. There's some big ones too, but, uh, you know, we don't discriminate. You can all use Fiber 52. How do you think that Fiber 52 will change the fashion industry? It's a really broad question, but what do you think you can bring to this industry whose impact on climate change is vast? Yeah, there's no doubt it's vast. Our objective is to be the preferred process in cotton processing around the world. We have a very clear objective there, and we're going as fast as we can to reach that objective. What we would like is in 10 years that 70, 80% of the world is using Fiber 52 as the process to help sustainability, to help the planet and help the people. Your product, the other thing which I read on your website is that it can be used with a present technology, machines, and systems. You don't have to change anything. You just change the chemical that you're using. Yes, correct. There are ways now to really save on water, but often you have to buy a very expensive machine to do that. That's not the case here in that you can use traditional dye machinery pretty much however old it is. That changes you know, the outcomes a little bit because the newer machines use less water anyway. The older machines use can use much more, but basically it's also down to the people that are managing this, you know, in the factories. Yeah, it's traditional machinery. You don't have to invest. You don't have to have an investment to use Fiber 52. It works with just about everything that's out there. When you talk about lean manufacturing, Six Sigma, and all those efficiency products that companies and businesses and manufacturing facilities use, they talk... One of the goals, especially with Lean and Six Sigma, is to use the existing, or rather I should say, is to get these efficiencies, whatever your goal is, without additional investments in capital. Right. So your solution, in fact, is a really good product for for businesses that are looking 
to bring about efficiencies in reducing water consumption, electricity consumption, and use of alkaline and other harsh chemicals in their processes. And, you know, what you're talking about is procedure as well. You know, we work with a number of companies who are very focused on Six Sigma and leaner ways to produce a product because we shorten the process, because you don't have as many steps. You don't actually have as many products to add. It helps greatly in those systems. So something that we engage in very actively. So if you had to quantify your impact with just one factor, give me an example. What is the percent of savings that you, in the sense your technology, was able to deliver for your client? I ran with a very big manufacturer here in the US on their new machinery, beautiful machinery. They wanted to look at the process they run now for a big brand, the color they run every week versus fiber 52 side by side. So what we did is we graphed the whole process on the machines because these machines will graph it for you. And so our process was uh, just over four hours. I think it was four hours and 30 minutes. And their process was like eight hours and 30 minutes. So we saved about four hours. Doesn't always work like that. It saved a lot of time and everything else that you can think of. And uh, yeah, it doesn't always work that way. But you know, generally we find ourselves saving anywhere between one and a half and three and a half hours in, you know, on traditional processing times. So it's a big deal. And water, we said, was what, 80% savings? Up to 70%. We use that word up, you know, up to advisedly because in that difference in machines, what we call liquor ratio, you can have some at four to one. So that means, you know, the fiber is, you know, one quarter up to where you've got 10 to 1 liquor ratio, where you've 10 times more water than you have fiber, you know, and that makes a difference to the calculations. But basically, even there, when we're using a 4 to 1 liquor ratio, which is very, very low, and you've got less water engaged there, we still save a lot of time and temperature and water. But it's not the 70%, you might be down at 35, 40%, which is still significant. As a conscious consumer, say I would like to buy a dress that has been treated with fiber 52. How do I know that? Do you have like a mark, like the organic people have a mark, the wool people have a mark? Do you have any kind of logo in the final product that says, hey, this is an eco-friendly product or eco-friendly process? Absolutely. We're an ingredient brand. Think Gore-Tex, think Intel Inside. That's what Fiber 52 is. And so the brands themselves are the brands. But, you know, we can be a part of that if the brands work with us in that manner. And so what we do is we supply swing tags, which is also good for all of us because we can then check up on whether Fiber 52 actually is being used. We also have tracing systems within Fiber 52 throughout the world. You know, they're in their infancy. We're working on those right now. But we supply the hang tags. And what we're working on right now is a QR code with those hang tags. So you can put your smartphone on that QR code and eventually you'll be able to tell exactly where your cotton's come from, where it was spun and knitted and dyed and finished and cut and sewn and all the rest of it. And so we're working with brands to have Fiber 52 as an ingredient brand within the brand. One of our guests, uh, they have a product called Trust Trace, which does exactly that. And many fashion houses and shoe manufacturers use that product to provide a traceability 
to the consumer who wants to know where and how the products were made? Yeah, there's visibility and there's education. In the visibility, I think most consumers are becoming very interested in what those supply chains are and how visible they are. But then there's also the information that you can put with QR codes that tells you something about Fiber 52, for instance, how it works, what it does as opposed to normal, you know, traditional processing. And I think, again, consumers want that education, but there's something else coming. In the EU, for instance, legislation is pretty strong and getting stronger as to where as to visibility but also as to what is being used in processing what's happening in europe is that these sustainable laws coming down the track pretty quick and it's happening here in america as well and south america in some cases in south america the use of heavy alkali is actually that becomes a restricted substance so you you have to apply to the government to actually use it so things like that are happening and they're happening at pace which is like a snowball five years ago six years ago i probably wouldn't be having all these conversations about the ecosystems and you know sustainability now that's it that's our daily lives around the world you know that things are changing fast you know when i started in 2019 there wasn't as much talk about sustainability now every time you open the paper the magazine or open a website or even um, any product there is a tab there is a section which talks about sustainability absolutely and uh, that information has to be more readily available and that's where we are we'd like to do that we've got nothing to hide we'd like to tell the story but also be very factual as well wishing you all the best and all your lofty goals. Thank you so much, Graham, for coming on Mindful Businesses. Vidya, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for all your great questions. I've really enjoyed speaking with you today and you know, good luck further with your pod and I hope we can keep in touch. Thank you so much, Graham Stewart, for coming on Mindful Businesses. You're listening to Mindful Businesses produced and hosted by Vidya Ayer. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to info at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. If you learned a thing or two from this episode, share it with one friend. Click on the subscribe button to be the first to learn about our latest episodes. We recorded the podcast in Buffalo, New York. Theme music is composed by Tatum Gale. Roseanne Korean is our marketing assistant. Kathan Karat is our podcast editor. Our advisors are Jim Stone and Anupama Pastreja. This is Vidya Ayer with Mindful Businesses.